Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Have you checked the children? Every town has an Elm Street. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? You read Sutter Kane. Can I get your ghost, Bob? <laughs> Thank you. Have a nice day. Good evening, Slasher fans. Uh, you're here, as always, with a new podcast, Slasher Studios Horror Podcast. Um, I'm Andrew. I'm just waiting for Kevin to call in. Um, I'm here. I lost track of time. Oh, yay. Sorry, I lost track of time. We were finishing the new episode of Feud. Oh, nice. How is it? Oh, it's super good. How was yeah. uh, John Waters really- as uh, William Castle? Oh, he was eating it up with a spoon. I mean, he was the perfect, he was the perfect, um, like, person to play that role. So I was definitely really happy and very excited to see him because I did not know that was happening. No, that's awesome. I mean, I know that he's kind of been a big uh, William Castle fan for a long time. I mean, he showed a uh, straight jacket and serial mom. So, I mean, that's kind of cool that he was able to, like, kind of play homage to one of kind of his influential filmmakers. Oh, absolutely. And then, of course, it's also kind of fun because um, we're doing backstory on Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, which I haven't seen yet, but... Apparently, um, before Olivia de Havilland entered the role of the cousin, it was Joan Crawford. Like, the episode ended with her landing in Baton Rouge to film. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, but I have a feeling, I have a feeling sooner or later it's going to implode with those two again, because clearly she did not make the movie. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely curious yeah, be from the backstory behind that because I, I don't know much about. Um, I know that I've seen that movie when I was like younger, um, but I don't really remember much about it. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I got the I got the Twilight Time Blu-ray of it um, last week. I just haven't had the chance to watch it because I'm still working, like like a maniac. <laughs> it's so exhausting. <laughs> Have you? Have you had the chance to watch anything lately? Um, <laughs> yes, but none of it is horror. <laughs> Pardon, I have allergies. Um, I started watching Finding Dory, which is not a horror movie at all. But um, <laughs> and then. Interestingly enough, I did wa- I started watching a TV show called Unreal, which is like a behind the scenes of a Bachelor reality show. Now, you wouldn't think it would be kind of uh, horror movie-esque, but it, it's, it could easily, I mean, this entire situation, the way they manipulate the contestants and kind of sabotage stuff, it is, it's pretty similar to a horror movie. I mean, I could see this being a horror movie scenario but um yeah i haven't had a chance to watch anything horror related which is sad but um i know that a bunch of new movies came out on amazon to rent 
so I'm hoping after this weekend for next week's show, I'll have a, a fair amount of um, new horror movies to be able to review. Cause right now I'm, I'm running on empty. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> oh no, that's okay. Because I haven't watched really anything new lately either. Uh, I know that there is, yeah, a bunch of new horror movies that came out this week. Um, I know that a lot of people on Instagram, at least, um, seems like just what everyone got that Phantasm box set, which looks pretty cool. And then also um, the house box set came out, and so did um, Deranged, as well as Bye Bye Man. So it was like a big horror week. Yeah. No, I know. It, it, um, there was There was a bunch that came out on VOD as well. Um, I believe slasher.com. Uh, there's one called Bethany that I was going to watch. I forget the last one, but yeah, no, I, I, by next Thursday, I'll, I'll at least, I'm going to try to at least do one, one a day until Thursday. So we'll hopefully see. If and I'm not 100% positive, but. I believe our upcoming Irrational Fear director, um, Hunter Johnson, I believe that he worked on Bethany. Oh, really? That's actually really cool. I believe cool. so. Um, I, just, I just got really excited because I saw Shannon Doherty was in it. And, I mean, Heather Duke for life. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I mean, that's awesome, the fact that, I mean, she's still kind of, you know, out there doing stuff. I know that she's kind of had you know, a rough go of it with cancer lately, but, um, yeah, she's pushing right through it. And if anyone can do it, it's her. Yeah. She kicked its ass. I guess she's in remission. Good for her. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I've always been a big fan, obviously ever since Heather's as well. Mm -hmm. It would have been before that, but I didn't see, um, girls just want to have fun until high school. I saw it after Heather's. Yeah, I didn't see that one till later either. Which is weird because it seems like it would be right up my alley, but <clears throat> and it was probably too. Well, that was like the thing Beverly of Hills and Teen Witch. <laughs> well, and that was thing too. Like growing up in like the late '80s, early '90s. Like, I mean, if your video store didn't have it, like you were just kind of out of luck. Like it wasn't like you know you could like find these movies or you know, in many cases, even know about them. I remember, like, getting, like, I had, like, this big, like, um, uh, like, this, like, 500 horror movie book. It was, like, um, Video Hound, and, like, there was, like, all these movies in there that I'd never even heard of, so I had to make, like, a list and put it in there, and, like, okay, well, I need to check these out, and which ones are available, and where do I go to find them? That, that was always kind of, that was, that was sometimes more fun than the movies themselves. It was just kind of the hunt of them. Oh, absolutely. I think every year I would um, end up at Walden Books at the Miller Hill Mall in Duluth, Minnesota, and I would buy Leonard Maltin's uh, like, movie review guide, and I would basically just use that to write down new movies that I haven't seen or um, look up like actors that I really liked from like Friday the 13th movies and Nightmare on Elm Street movies, and I would find other stuff they did. So I... 
it was it was a research project trying to find new movies back then if they weren't at your video store. Everybody's got yeah, it. Yeah, it was like searching now. the books, and like the books had to be like your IMDb. Mm hmm. Because you would have to go in the back into like the actors, and then the actors um, index would have all the pages of the movies they were in. So it would be like, you know, Heather Langenkamp, 3, 6, 14, 92, and 275. Like, then you would have to like go down and try to find those movies they were in. Yeah, and you better hope if you're looking for an actor that the movies they were in, they were in a lead role because if they were just like a supporting character that was pretty small, they probably weren't listed, unlike IMDb. Oh, I know. Now everybody's on IMDb, even uncredited. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. It's just kind of taken over. Hey, whatever. I just want them to bring the message boards back. You know, as much as I griped about them... I really do miss them because <laughs> nobody else has kind of recaptured that feeling. Like that's always, and it's still like muscle memory. After I watch a new movie, the first thing I do is start typing in it IMDb to look at the message board to see what people thought. Although I suppose now I can just do that with Facebook comments. At least I can put a face to the name. Um, I, the, the, that's true. It seems the void has been a, being split down the middle I enjoyed it but other people are very just kind of eh, <clears throat> eh about it which sucks yeah I mean it's and it's, I mean it's like we always yeah say. expectations can play a lot mm -hmm. but and not only that it's just kind of like you know they sit there and they're like remakes suck I hate the remakes bring us something new and yes, there is a lot, and I mean a lot, of homages to previous movies in this movie. In fact, it feels very much like a Silent Hill game. But at the same time, it's done well. But people just, oh, the effects were good. I just, uh, I didn't really care about it. And I'm just like, so what? <laughs> like, you watched it. Hopefully they, they paid for it. Like, but I don't know. Apparently, um, I think Variety said that it had a pretty strong theatrical debut for like ten cities. So that's good. Yeah, it's always interesting to see those kind of like mini movies when they kind of do the the VOD slash theatrical release. Um, if people are gonna kind of just go out of their way to kind of see it to have that kind of theatrical experience. Um, it does feel like it's kind of getting smaller and smaller. I remember when they first started doing that, um, they would release like the movies in like a hundred theaters and now it's just kind of down to like a handful. So, I mean, it's kind of like, well, if you're lucky enough to get it, you know, maybe you will, but, Oh, um, did your theater, was it this weekend that you guys were getting, um, Colossal? They said tentatively on the 14th, so I will check the times. I will probably have be able to watch that before next Thursday. <clears throat> Fingers nice. crossed. Nice, yeah. I mean, everything I've heard about it has been really good. Same. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I think um, it seems like it would be a pretty, like, fun, fresh take on the the big, like, Godzilla monster format, but... 
I don't know. I don't really know much about it. I think like before I watched a YouTube video, they started showing a trailer, but when I realized what it was, I closed it really quick. Cause again, I just want to be spoiled because <laughs> it, it's, it's so easy nowadays. Yeah. And I heard, um, from a couple of the reviewers that, um, I follow that, uh, the, the trailer for that one is pretty, pretty spoiler heavy. Ugh, that's so annoying. I mean, it can't be as bad as certain movies that show the last shot in the trailer. I mean, hell, for the apparition, it's the goddamn poster is the last scene of the movie. Same with um, Pulse with Kristen Bell. Like, there's just so many... Oh, it's so bad. I can't even... Yeah, quarantine's the same way. Uh-huh. I, I just... I mean, I guess, yeah... If you haven't seen the movie, you have no idea it's the final shot. But then, I mean, once you see the movie, I think I'd be still kind of pissed because you'd be sitting there being like, okay, when's that shot coming? When's that shot? Well, the movie is almost done. That better not be how it ends. Nope. Yep. That's how it ends. I'm pissed. Yeah. And I mean, with stuff like that, I think it can work. It all depends on what it is. Like, I, I mean, I, it's the final shot of the movie, but I thought the poster for um, the Evil Dead remake, you know, with her just standing there, you know, obviously walking away, like, that's the final shot of the movie, yes, but, I mean, it's not it's not spoiler-heavy at all. I mean, obviously, first of all, it's a remake, but, I mean, second of all, like, you pretty much know what's going to happen anyway. So, you know, it, it I suppose it can be done, but mostly they kind of just use it as, oh, it's an easy, cheap scare, especially if it's kind of like that, you know, that jump scare vibe to it, which it's, that's too bad because most of the time the movies don't need it. And yeah, like you said, people are just kind of waiting for it. Yeah, which is a shame. Although I did, um, I feel like we've kind of lucked out because I did find a print ad for a movie called When the Screaming Stops. And it's like, due to the graphic and violent nature of this film, a warning sign will appear three seconds before anything that could be deemed objective will be shown so you can avert your eyes. I'm like, (laughs) why would you want to spoil everything? What would be the point? (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Beyond excited. Yeah, that's too funny. Not only that, I mean... Upcoming in the next couple of months, I mean, we have like Alien Covenant coming out, and I believe there's a few more. I know um, that the uh, Sleep Paralysis movie with Jocelyn Donahue opens on the 12th of May, and then um, Get Out hits Blu-ray and DVD at the end of May, so I'll finally be able to get to see it. Um, Hopefully it hits VOD sooner. And we get our Serial Mom Blu-ray on May 12th. Just in time for Mother's Day. I know, that's so oh, exciting. I can't wait for that. Is Mother's Day in May? Yeah, it's usually the I think it's usually the second Sunday in May. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, no, that's exactly when it comes out. So <laughs> I wonder if they planned that. I would imagine that they would have had to have, or, I mean, somebody had to have mentioned it somewhere along the line. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, 
it just it makes sense. It's something silly like releasing a Friday the Thirteenth film on Friday the Thirteenth. Although I just read an article that says a new one probably won't happen until at least 2019, if that. So I think I'm just gonna um, I think I'm just gonna give up hope for Friday the Thirteenth because they they clearly don't give a shit about it. So. Maybe they'll. Uh, yeah, like until they the start couple. getting some cast and some actual like names and stuff behind it. Yeah, I just I don't know. Yeah, it's so frustrating. But I mean, it probably doesn't help that Victor Miller's um, suing for control and like back picks. He's saying he's he invented everything. Well, why? Like, that's that's one of those things like we mentioned last week. It's like, well, why now? Like, I guess he had to wait until, like, a certain amount of time for copyright something or another. I, I, I read the article briefly, but, yeah, I was just a little pissed because, like, in his original script, it wasn't even Jason. It was um, Jeremy, wasn't it? Wasn't the name Jeremy or something? It wasn't Jason Voorhees. It was like a different J name, and they changed it last minute to be Jason. I think so, it might have even been Josh. That's it. It's Josh. But yes, um, it just it was just an afterthought. I mean, he didn't come up with the the Jason jumping out of the water at the end to grab Alice. That was like, I mean, it depends on who you talk to, but. I, I, my money's probably going to be on like Tom Savini because that seems like something that would pop in his brain. And then after that, it's the the sequels were um, the producers. Offhand, yeah, it doesn't make sense at all. I mean, with something like that, you're just kind of you know you're a writer for hire. I mean, obviously, you know. You never know if a movie is going to be a success or not, but I mean, I would imagine. I mean, because he still gets screen credit, like on the movies for, um, like based on characters created by. So, like, I would imagine that he must get some kind of royalties from the sequel. I'm guessing that he just wants more. I would assume that's what it is. Well, now um, we're almost on the the cusp of another Writers Guild strike because um, TV is becoming such a a powerful medium, which is hysterical because it's a a running joke and feud about how Betty Davis is doing TV shows. So clearly she needs work and how nobody, a star like Joan Crawford would never be on TV. (laughs) And nowadays that just seems where most of like older actors and actresses are going, especially actresses, because it's the only place that they get a character with something to do. I mean, my God, how many different actresses can they get to play Aunt Martha with uh, Spider-Man? Now it's right. Real, and they I just think. keep going. Yeah, and they just keep going younger and younger. Like, who's in the, who's the newest one? Marcia Chomet. Oh, is it? Oh, I, I'm almost positive. <laughs> oh. 
but yeah, it's just kind of like they're they're just kind of saddled with like thankless roles, like playing the mother or the grandmother, and then getting on TV, you can have entire seasons around you and stuff like that. Like you're the late like the lead character because I mean, if you look at it, there was like um, Kira Sedgwick and the Closer and Holly Hunter and Saving Grace and um, Mary Louise Parker and Weeds. And Jessica Lang in American Horse is giving these people way more to work with than movies now. And I'm happier for it because they're thriving. Yeah, I mean, with movies, it's it's like, you know, you'll have one of them that come out every, like, like once in a while. Like, yeah, you'll have something like... Um, uh, Zero Dark Thirty that features like um, just Jessica Chastain, but for the most part, yeah, they're just they're kind of saddled in those girlfriend roles where it's just like, okay, well, what else? Well, exactly. The grandmother, or the 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 wise caretaker in the you the newest young adult adaptation. <laughs> Yep, you got like those mentor role, mentor roles that's like, okay, well, they're in there for like two scenes and they're just kind of a plot device more than anything and that's too bad because um a lot of these actresses like most of them are um are better than that. But I mean I I'm not really I'm not a huge fan of the series, but um more power to the, the Fast and the Furious uh group for adding uh Shirley Saron and uh Helen Mirren's the newest one. That's pretty cool. Especially since I think Charlize is playing the villain. Which Yeah, nowadays, I guess she's like I the mean, main villain. So I mean that's that's really cool. Good. Cause that never would have happened ten years ago. She would have been like the the right hand woman of the main villain, but the main villain's usually a man. So yeah, I'm, it would have been like that. The, um, kind of like um, Famka in Goldeneye, where she was the assassin to the the bad guy. But I don't even remember the bad guy. But I remember Famka. <laughs> yeah, or uh, what's the other one? Uh, Superman Returns, where Kevin Spacey's like the the main bad guy, and I mean you kind of have um, Parker Posey as his assistant. Oh. She stole that movie. I mean, Kevin Spacey, I will say Kevin Spacey was a good Lex Luthor, and she was a riot. It's just Brandon Routh playing Superman. He looked the part, but he just had no kind of charisma. And then Kate Bosworth was just missing her usual, like, kind of sparkle she has. Because, she, I mean, she is one of those actresses that you like right away. But she was just she was saddled with such a boring, uninteresting character that she just looked like she was sleepwalking. Yeah, that's definitely one of the problems with superhero movies in general is that when you have really, really interesting villains, you really have to step up the game on the heroes in order for them to be interesting because if it's all about the villains and you want more of them, well, who cares what happens to the people that you're supposed to be rooting for? No, I think um, 98% of Batman's success is the villains. Because, I mean, 
Batman himself, billionaire philanthropist turned crime fighter. It's it's interesting, but when you've got off the wall wacko villains like the Joker and the Riddler and Catwoman and Poison Ivy and Clayface and the Penguin, I mean they're center stage. Basically, I feel like like Batman the animated series was just kind of like, well, who cares about Batman? I just want to see what villain we're gonna get this week. <laughs> like, bring them on. Well, yeah, I mean, Batman in general is just such a, I mean, it's a very one-note character, and it's very, you know, sour and dour and just very, you know, it is what it is. And there's not really much you can do with that unless you're going to rewrite history, which you're going to piss off comic book fans there. But, you know, you could do what you but can. But I think that's why, if you can, that's why, like, the Batman universe really works when it's adapted to film is because the craziness of the villains balances out, like, the seriousness of Batman. So, I mean, if you mm-hmm. tried to do a new one where the, the, the heroes are just as wild and crazy as the villains, it's just going to get all lost in the shuffle. You have to have that balance. And I think Batman really works for that because like Superman, Lex Luthor is just world domination, but he's, he's not over the top insane. Like the other ones are. He's just very ruthless and cunning. And so that's why I feel like Superman is kind of eh to me and Batman's more, huh? Because, you know, it's the fantasy aspect. I love the fantasy aspect of, you know, the Scarecrow and Zantana and stuff like that. No, I definitely agree with you. Uh, So I guess, yeah, we we had a little um, superhero discussion there. So we'll kind of veer uh, oh, back on track with, uh, so tonight we're talking about uh, the Psycho series. Uh, this is probably one of the more consistent horror series out there. Um, you know, there's, if we're looking at like the sequels, I mean, there are some that are definitely better than others, but there are there's none of them in this series and I would even include the remake in this. And granted, I know that I'm kind of, you know, not one of the, the big uh, horror followers that are like, okay, well that's like the worst movie ever, but I think that it does have its moments, but I, I don't think that any of the movies themselves are, are what I would call bad or unwatchable or, I mean, they're all, they're all consistently entertaining. Yeah, I mean, 1998's version of Psycho is kind of like, it's fascinating to watch, but not in an entertaining way. It's just kind of like a, for me, it was a very confused, because <laughs> I'm just like, what time period are they set in? You know, it, it seems like the 50s, but then the the car dealership has Rob Zombie's Living Dead Girl playing, and Julianne Moore comes in with like a Walkman, like it was, it was just, it was very chaotic. Not chaotic. Um, it just, it, it didn't know exactly what it wanted. Was it an updated version or was it set in the sixties? If it was set in the sixties, why did they up the, the amount of money? Like there was just a lot of questions I had about it as it stands. I mean, Aside from, like, the murder scenes, because adding those weird subliminal, um, like, 
cuts into um, Marion and Arbogast's murder. I mean, the movie looks good. The movie looks great. I do actually, I'm one of the few people that do like the new, um, the version they kind of went with for the, the, the house. Cause I mean, it, it doesn't look anything like the 1960 house. And if they would have tried to make it look like the 1960 house, it would have been awful. So I'm happy with the way they took it. I, I do love Julianne Moore. I don't remember hating Vince Vaughn as Norman, but it seems like everybody does hate him. But I'm wondering if that's just because of the career path he ended up taking with all the bro comedies. And now people are like, oh, well, I don't want to see Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates. Back then, I didn't even know who he was. So I thought he did a good job. Um, for me, the the weakest link on that was Anne Hayes, just because I just, I felt like she didn't have like an ounce of the likability that Janet Lee had. I mean, for me, I was just kind of like, I care nothing about this person. Whereas Janet Lee, you, you didn't want her, her version of Marion. Like you were like, Oh, she, she realized she was doing something wrong. She's going to go back and fix it. And in this one, she just kind of seemed like annoyed that she had to go back. There was no pathos. To it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on on that. And I mean, granted, I didn't think that Anne Hayes was particularly bad in the film. And I know that they wanted kind of that Hitchcock blonde. But in all honesty, I think the movie would have been stronger had they reversed those two roles and had Julianne Moore play that character. Because I feel like she's just got more of that pathos to her, whereas she would develop more of a likable character. Versus the sister character, I mean, obviously, yeah, she's she's important. She's, but she's more of a plot device, and it's more of kind of you know, getting the story along. And I think that that little change, although granted, it's not really a little change, but that change might have just improved it because I do feel like had somebody like Julianne Moore been um, Marion, we might have cared about the character more. Yeah, because like you said, I don't think Anne Hish did a bad job. I just feel she was miscast. Um, because when when Anne Hish is good, she's good. But I just I don't feel like this was the right fit for. Her. I feel like she kind of stuck out like a sore 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 thumb. I I'm sorry, I didn't get much sleep last night, so I'm I'm a little out there. But um, that's not the first time I will run my words together on this podcast because I always get made fun of it because I do that all the time. But yeah, um, for me, it just there was there was just a few um, choices that the remake took that confused me. But yes, anyone that tells me it's the worst movie they've ever seen, I just have to look at them and be like, well, shit, you haven't seen a whole lot of movies, especially not horror, because God, I can, I can fill like an entire bookcase with movies that are worse than 1998 psycho because at least it's technically proficient <laughs> like, yeah i mean even if we're talking about like worst remakes i could give you a dozen remakes at least that i think are much much worse than um 1998 psycho even dreams to be yeah I mean, come on, we've got like April Fool's Day, The Fog, um, Prom Night. I know I am 
labeled a hater Rob Zombie's Halloween, but I will stick to my guns on that. Um, the stepfather. Oh God, what a pile of shit that was. Like, I mean, come on. <laughs> and this was before, like, it was even a trend to do the remakes. This was a complete, like, well, we're just going to see what happens. It was an experiment. That's exactly what it was. And it was an experiment. And it was Gus Van Sant trying to prove he was just as good as Hitchcock. And, you know, newsflash, he's not. But it still is a pretty interesting experiment to watch once every 10 years. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm at, too. Um, I might like it a little bit more than you do. But, uh, yeah, I think that as a film itself, it doesn't really work at all. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of an interesting experiment of what you can do with the medium and what can change in a course of, you know, 38 years. It's, it's an interesting quote unquote failure. Um, because I think that, yeah, it's got a lot of stuff that doesn't work, but at the same time, it's obvious that a lot of care went into it, which is more than you can say for the glut of like 2000, uh, horror remakes, especially like those, much of those ones that you mentioned that were kind of like those ones that were dumped by Sony, those PG-13, you know, monstrosities. And name-only remakes. <laughs> yeah. Um, God, I mean, sometimes that's okay, but most of the time it's just like, you know, just name it something else. Exactly. That that's my that's my big thing is I'm like if you're gonna like go that far from the source material, don't even bother. Just make it another sequel. Like prom night. Like it doesn't have to be build a remake of prom night and just be like prom night, a night to remember or something like that. Just give it a weird subtitle and just be like, oh, it's just another sequel. Just don't add five to it. Yeah, it just it doesn't it doesn't work at all when they do that. I mean, even I mean even other ones where like Mother's Day, at least it kind of took the general premise of kind of you know the crazy mother with her sons. At least like they took that from it, which is more than you can say for something like Prom Night. Yeah, well, and they kept some of the character names and they referenced stuff like Queenie and stuff like that. I mean, it was it was clearly like crafted as kind of a, a like a reimagining of the original whereas prom night like they couldn't even name Jamie Lee Curtis's character like given uh what's her nuts the same name it was just bland and blander <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, so yeah, Psycho, Psycho as it stands, uh, as a remake, I mean, putting them, and I guess a film editor did put them side by side. I would love to watch both of them side by side because it would be such a stark contrast because um, Alfred Hitchcock is very black and white and there's a lot of shadow and depth, whereas um, the 1998 one is very bright and lots of like, I mean, all the colors and Hesh wears are just very bright and brilliant. And I mean, it's, it's definitely two different aesthetic styles. 
So uh, you got to give them at least some credit for trying. It didn't exactly like work on all fronts, but yeah, it's, it, I do feel there is a lot of unnecessary hatred towards it. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those movies where it's, you know, if you hated it the first time you watched it, um, give it another go because it might be a li- at least a little bit better than what, you're, what you remember or maybe you'll at least have kind of some appreciation towards what they were trying to do, but uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, so, I mean, I guess we can jump from the remake, you know, back to where it kind of all began in 1960 with uh, the original Psycho film. Um, I mean, we don't really need to go into any kind of, you know, plot backstory with this one because everyone knows Norman Bates, Motel, Marion Crane, uh, Night That Kind of Goes Bad. The iconic uh, score that has been copied numerous times for other horror franchises, such as, you know, Brian De Palma's Carrie and Friday the 13th both took a lot of uh, inspiration from the Psycho score. Especially the screeching violin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they did uh, quite a bit. And I would say that if you guys haven't, um, it wasn't a very big hit when it first came out. Um, but if you guys haven't checked it out and you guys kind of want to know more about kind of the making of Psycho, uh, check out the movie Hitchcock. I really enjoyed it. You got Anthony Hopkins playing uh, Alfred Hitchcock, and you got um, uh, Helen, Helen Mirren playing his. Wife. his yeah, it's it's well, it's like three quarters about kind of their marriage, but then the other quarter is kind of about the making of the film. But it's very, I I really enjoyed it. I was surprised it didn't kind of get more um, attention when it first came out because I thought it was really well done. Well, I feel like it it didn't get as much attention because it came out right around the same time as the movie about Alfred Hitchcock's obsession with Tippi Hendren um, came out on HBO. And that one painted him because, I mean, Hitchcock was very much, uh, they portrayed Hitchcock in a very positive light, um, whereas the HBO one kind of showed the torment he would do to his leading ladies. Um, but yeah, in this one, I mean, he he was nothing but professional around Scarlett Johansson playing Janet Lee, who I thought was a very inspired casting choice aesthetically. I mean, she does, with the hair, look very similar to Janet Lee back in 1960. And, but like, I mean, because I would hear stories about when they filmed the shower scene, when the shower curtain was pulled back, he'd want ice, like the, the water of the shower go from warm to ice cold to get her to scream as realistically as possible. I mean, that's the kind of stuff he did. And they kind of glossed all over that. It, it seemed much more of like a, a happy-go-lucky fairy tale movie. Mm-hmm. I personally really enjoyed it, but I mean that was some of the criticisms I heard, and I don't really blame them because it's hard to take a biography movie like seriously when they kind of gloss over and make the subject look better than he kind of was. Because yeah, he was and what's interesting about French, it too. Oh, I was just going to say, he's a, he's a master of suspense, but who he put his leading ladies through the ringer. 
Yeah, he did. Um, they, I mean, they do kind of touch on that a little bit with Jessica Biel's character, um, how, you know, he'll only give her supporting roles to kind of do out her contract because she ended up getting um, pregnant and he felt like that was kind of a betrayal to her career. Uh, so I felt like that stuff was interesting. I kind of wanted more of that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I thought mm-hmm. the cast all around was really good. I mean, I thought Jessica Biel, too, was really good as uh, uh, Vera. Yeah, well, you know, I I think Jessica Biel's pretty solid in everything she's in. I mean, is it always a great movie? No. But is she usually good in what she's in? Yes. I think she just gets a lot of hatred because of where she started with the WB and Seventh Heaven and, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, and now she's married to Justin Timberlake. But it still doesn't diminish the fact that she is. She's charismatic, and you kind of do your root for her. I know I rooted for her in Texas Chainsaw. I liked her character. I thought she did a good job. Yeah, she's just, you know, no matter what I've seen her in, she always kind of portrays that kind of very um, uh, strong, you know, independent-minded uh, character. And I, I really kind of appreciate that kind of aesthetic that she brings to the characters that she plays. So, yeah, I mean, I've kind of, you know, always always been a fan as well, but... Uh, the original Psycho, it's a masterpiece. There's not really a whole lot to say about it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one of those movies that if you haven't seen it, rush out and watch it. You'll notice a lot of stuff about it has been copied in other films, including an entire kind of uh, plot devices from it. But, I mean, even, you know, 60 years later, it holds up beautifully well and it's incredibly well acted um you know it's uh anthony perkins it's kind of you know his his claim to fame even though he did you know over 100 films but there's a reason behind that because he's got kind of you know that nice innocent boy next door look and it was kind of one of the first movies that made you kind of question the people around you and you know are sometimes it's not you know the, the big scary ones that you need to be afraid of no. And I think that's kind of why it, it really did hit home is because it it wasn't your typical villain who looks like a villain, who acts like a villain. Like it was the boy next door who made you start wondering like, hey, could my neighbor murder me? So, I mean, it, it struck a nerve and it, hey, I'm very happy it did because Psycho was extremely influential when I was growing up. I used to... Uh, rent it from the library all the time because they didn't care if it was a horror movie. Like they were just like, rent this, go ahead, take a book as well. <laughs> so I was, it was psycho, um, Dracula and, um, night of the living dead. I would take those out like at least once a month from the library. And that's psycho, awesome. it never, uh, yeah, away. that's really yeah. cool. It, yeah. The original Psycho never gets old to me, and the other one that never gets old is Psycho 2. Each time I watch it, I'm reminded about how fantastic it is. I have one eensy little gripe with the end with just some very unfortunate-looking special effects in a (laughs) certain character's death scene. But other than that, it is a sequel that is so much better than it has any right to be. It is fantastically asked, acted. 
It has some great suspense. There's a lot of twists and turns in a completely good way. It's just, it's, it's batshit crazy, but it's like two thumbs up batshit crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Psycho 2 was really kind of the first movie that kind of invented that second twist where you think the movie's kind of all over and then you have this kind of, you know, caper of a last scene where you're just like, oh, wait, it kind of, you know, takes the rug from underneath you. And yeah, you might have seen like the first one coming. There's no way you could have seen the other one coming. But yeah, it's just, it's very interesting. I'm glad that uh, they got Vera back because uh, she's great in it. She's got that wonderful uh, courtroom scene uh, where she's just kind of, you know, raving about how uh, he should, you know, be locked up forever. And you got Anthony Perkins back, who's, you know, trying to keep his sanity together as he's starting to get, you know, visions and, you know, various anonymous things about what's going on. But it's just, it's a wonderfully suspenseful film that even though it's just under two hours long, it doesn't feel that long because you have these really kind of rich characters. Um, Meg Tilly is great in it as well. And, you know, there's a twist with her character too. And it's just, it's very, there's, there's nice little moments where you can tell that they're, they're really, they're really kind of trying to capture the essence of the original film. But with the sequel, uh, they, they take those elements and make them fresh and make them unique and really spin the story in a new direction where it's just, it doesn't feel like they're copying the first one and it doesn't feel like they're kind of rewriting history either. It's just, okay, well, there's another chapter of this story to be told. And that's what I think works so well about Psycho 2. Exactly. It's, it's a, like a loving um, continuation of the story without becoming a replica repeat of the first one. They, like you said, they continued the story in organic mem- um, member, Matt, uh, I can't think of the word I'm saying, I'm sorry, but like in an organic flow kind of way, um, they don't like, like you said, they don't try to rewrite history. They don't bring a character back from the dead. They don't have like a long lost cousin or something come out or just nothing like that. It's, it is a perfect companion to part two or to the original part three, a little less. So I also want to give a shout out to uh, the guy from NYP, uh, NYPD blue playing the, uh, the new scuzzy manager of the Bates motel. Cause he is a, uh, he does a great job being just icky. <laughs> no, he's perfect. I mean, that the whole movie is just, it's really just wonderful. And yeah, there is kind of, you know, that I know exactly which moment you're talking about with the, the effect um, with the death scene. And it's, it's unfortunate that it kind of looks as fakey as what it does. But um, when the rest of the movie is as good as what it is, um, it's kind of easy to overlook that. But speaking yeah, of rewriting, I think, I think, history, I think my you got only... like a, Oh, go ahead. I, oh, I was just supposed to say, I, th- I think my only reason I dislike it so much is because the, the previous murders in the movie were were not as 
in your face and graphic. That one felt like the studio was like, you know, we're in the middle of the slasher boom. You got to give me bloodshed, like bloodshed. So they, they were kind of forced to put it in because the rest of the deaths, especially the one of the, the boy in the cellar. I mean, I remember that really freaking me out when I was a kid and it was, it's very subtle and subdued. So I feel like it just kind of, it, it felt like it didn't belong in the movie that we were watching because it was so just kind mm-hmm. of graphic and unnecessary. But speak, are we doing rewriting history with Psycho 3? Yeah. Um, so there's a twist at the end of Psycho 2, and it's completely disregarded for Psycho 3, which, whatever, like, you're going to do your own story, but it's kind of like, well, when you have that kind of major reveal, especially with kind of introducing a new character, um, it's... I think you need a little bit more than, oh, that person was crazy. They didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, it definitely feels like a cheat. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like Psycho 3 kind of, because Psycho 2 was so well received, I feel like Universal wanted to just pump out Psycho 3. And, I mean, you can kind of tell it didn't have the the attention to detail that the, the second one did. It really did feel like kind of a, a tawdry 80s slasher version of Psycho. I mean, you've got another like lecherous motel manager played by Jeff Fahey, and there's this weird scene where he's like rolling lamps around his thighs while Juliet Cummings, who loves Juliet Cummings, she is a slasher studio's favorite, is like dancing provocative. Like it's just it's it's a very see this is a, a bat shit crazy that doesn't work kind of movie like it's just I mean I I I find it very enjoyable with its its tawdriness but I would never like recommend it as being a good movie it's an entertaining movie for sure and it's like fun to watch after Psycho 1 and 2 but that's one that's it's it's taken me a while to to buy that one on Screen Factory yeah and with i mean with psycho 3 the thing of it is is that it's got individual moments that i think are great there's a wonderfully suspenseful scene that plays homage to the original shower scene this time it takes place in a phone booth uh that's really well shot it's well acted it's just it's it's very suspenseful they kind of take that the first kind of um, that that shower death scene and they kind of, you know, revamp it for the 80s. And yeah, it definitely has more uh, more blood and more gore, but it definitely kind of keeps it the same style. There's another scene too where um, the police are over and they're kind of um, doing an investigation and he's, the, the policeman's eating ice out of the, the ice bucket cellar thing outside and um, there's like the hand that's like sticking out and there's like blood on it. And there's like that, that, that suspenseful scene there where it's kind of playing with like the dark comedy of the situation. That's like, Oh, is he going to find it? Or is he going to even notice? And it's just kind of waiting for that moment. And I, I wish that the movie had more of that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I feel like it, it really falters when it, it tries too hard to be serious but there's the, there's little bits and moments like you were saying that 
have like some tongue in cheek kind of suspense going on and maybe I just need to watch it again. It's been a while. I just kind of remember the end and being like, huh. And for some reason, yeah, the, and the actress, um, the actress that plays the lead girl in this movie, who is also Christina Crawford in Mommy Dearest, there's always just been something about her that I, I don't know what it is, but it always feels forced. It doesn't feel like she's playing a character. It really does feel like she's an actress reading a script. Maybe it's just me, but I just kind of have always felt that way. Well, and I, I don't think it helps either the fact that um, Psycho 3, it it tries to make a statement about religion and how she tries to commit suicide and she doesn't and she's a nun and she's, you know, escaping from the convent, but it doesn't really know what it wants to say or what it wants to do with that. Um, I think that there there is a scene with her character towards the end of the movie, um, and it might be part of what you're talking about, um, but it involves a death with the, um, the, the Cupid arrow and falling down the stairs, and I think is really kind of, that's another one of those kind of, you know, very tongue-in-cheek fly moments that the movie kind of needed more of, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's just kind of all over the place. And I think part of it, I, I'm wondering that if, if a decent chunk of it was the fact that, you know, this was kind of, you know, Anthony Perkins, um, you know, this was his debut behind the camera. And I think that part of it was the fact that he really kind of wanted to make his own statements on the material and just kind of, you know, even though, you know, it originated with, with Hitchcock, I think that he kind of wanted to take it in another direction. Whether or not that direction really works is arguable. Uh, I think that it's it's, def- it's definitely a flawed film, but it's it definitely has its fans, and I understand why people really like it. But it's one of those that I don't know. It's it's definitely one of those movies where. Sometimes I'll watch it and I'll think, oh, this is a lot better than what I remember. And then other times I'll watch it and I'll be like, oh, I don't like this at all. So maybe no, it's I'm all in the same boat. I feel like I'm in the same boat. I feel like every time I watch Psycho 3, it's either where I'm like, oh, this isn't as bad as I thought it was. But then I'll watch it again like a year or two later and I'll just be like, oh, what was I thinking? This is awful. <laughs> so I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> No, well, that's good though because yeah, um, it, it uh, yeah, I I might have to give this one another go too because it's it's been it's been a while for me as well. Um, so cycle four, the do beginning. One of those, um, I'm like, we should do one of those like live tweets where we watch it at the same time and discuss our thoughts on Twitter. I don't know, that'd be perfect. Uh, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, we should definitely do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so cycle well, four I mean, um, needs for coming up, so let's do it. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, cycle four, okay. the beginning, uh, made for TV, uh, Showtime. This is kind of uh, this is one of the kind of like the first where it's kind of you know a prequel slash sequel uh, because we do have you know um, Norman Bates calling into this radio talk show explaining about kind of his history and how he's kind of having like these 
Burgess again. Cycle 4 is a very interesting movie to me in the fact that it's it takes itself incredibly serious and out of the sequels I would say tone-wise it's probably the closest to maybe not the original cycle film in general but just to a Hitchcock film um, overall it's got some really good moments um, you know Olivia Hussey is always great and she does a really good job kind of you know playing the the, the mother from hell and yeah, she's really good. And um, uh, Henry Thomas does a good job of playing young Norman Bates. And it's very interesting how you have um, Anthony Perkins too, uh, who, I mean, he pretty much plays, but at least 90% of the movie, just kind of on, you know, the phone talking to uh, the radio host. But uh, there, there's, there's nice little moments where, you know, he's like cutting an apple and throwing at the knife and, there's this is this is kind of one of those movies where I'm like I, I like it and I think it's really well made and I'm glad that they kind of took it in another um direction. And that's one one thing that I do like about all the sequels is that tone wise are all kind of new. very different. Yeah, they, they all, you know, for better or worse they 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 took the story in a different direction and they tried to be faithful to the original film, but at the same time, I added something new to it. Um, but with the fourth one, I think it's a good movie overall, and I would say that I do I do enjoy it, and I think it's it's very well made, and it's, especially for a, a made for TV movie of its time. Um, but at the same time, there's part of me that's just like, well, do we really need this? And do we really need this backstory? And does it really add anything to the, you know, prior material of what we're given? And the answer is probably not. But at the same time, it's it's an enjoyable watch. It's well acted all around. And I would say that if you're if you're a fan of the Psycho series in general, this one's definitely worth checking out. Just remember that, yeah, it is an H4 TV movie, so it's on a much smaller scale than the other sequels, but it works for what it is. Thinking about that, because if you think about it, each one of the, the Psycho movies is so like um, tonally different, and it's because of the time it came out. I mean, we had the 60s for the original Psycho, and then we had the early 80s for Psycho 2 when the slasher genre was really like but they were still focusing on suspense with the splatter. And then when Psycho 3 came out, that was like in the the big bang of the slasher movies. So they just kind of went balls to the wall with everything. And then Psycho 4 made for TV. And it was, it was before like made for TV sequels were good. I mean, we would get them from time to time, but I mean, the Stepford husbands and like there was the, Rosemary's Baby and stuff like that that were bad. So the fact that this one is actually a halfway decent film and it's still pretty well regarded with fans of the franchise. I mean, I haven't seen it since it was on Showtime and I remember not liking it, but I was also like, I don't know, when did it come out? 1990? Yeah, I think it's like right around there. I think it was maybe 91, but yeah, it was very early 90s. Yeah, I was like 10, so I was not in the mindset to watch 
that kind of film. So I definitely need to give that one a revisit. Um, but yeah, I mean, each one of them is such an interesting like time capsule of when it came out. Yeah, and I think that's definitely what works about it. And you're you're right too. I mean, with by the time Cycle Four came out, uh, it was kind of over the whole slasher phase. So they kind of tried to take it in a a different. Um, I mean, this was kind of after um, those other kind of made for TV movies that had come out, like The Deliberate Stranger, where it was it was more about kind of getting into the mind of a murderer and trying to figure out what makes them tick and. This is much more of a psychological drama than it is kind of a, a slasher film or a thriller. So I, I could definitely see, especially you watching at the young age, if you're expecting something closer to the other ones, you are going to be disappointed because this one does, it, it plays off more of the drama of the situation and less on kind of, you know, the bringing out the thrills and kind of, you know, building up the suspense because there really is no suspense to build up to. It's just, okay, you know, here's who I am. This is my story. A little bit new at the end, but that's pretty much about it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not like they aren't, they aren't pretty much revisiting that storyline again with Bates Motel. Now, I full disclosure, I did not catch up on Bates Motel, but I have stayed especially with the announcement that they were bringing Marion in. Um, I kind of put my ear back to the ground. I did watch what they did to the Marion character, and I kind of liked that change. Um, I fell out during the sophomore slump. Um, I know everybody says it gets so much better by season three, and I will start watching it again, because the first season I burned through so fast. But my problem with the second season is it started focusing more on Norman's brother and his ties to the drug families of the town. And then Norman starts hanging out with this bad girl. And I just kind of got to the point where I'm like, okay, they've introduced 12 new characters this season and I hate every one of them. And the focus seems squarely on them. So I just don't know if I can keep doing this, (laughs) but I really want to keep doing it because I thought Freddie Highmore was great as Norman, although his British accent did slip out every now and then. That's something that will be corrected acting wise. I thought he did a great job. Um, But I mean, the star of the show is always Vera Farmiga, who pretty much can steal anything she's in just by a glance. I mean, you want to talk one of the best actresses working in Hollywood today, Vera Farmiga is way up there. I mean, she is just, everything she does is phenomenal. (laughs) I mean, she's one of the only actresses that can deliver the I'm not your fucking mommy line and have it not be hideous. Naomi Watts couldn't even do that. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, so I watched like I much like you, I burned through the whole first season, I believe in a day, possibly two days. But it was it was very fast. It was very quick. It was it's just a very good watch and it's just it kind of hooks you with the story right away and it's got very captivating characters. And then season two um debuted on T V and I kept hearing about how people were kind of losing interest and I never got a chance to watch season two. But um, and then it just kind of got to the point where, you know, they're like, okay, well, we're doing five seasons and that's going to be it. So I was just kind of like, okay, well, it, it, 
if it's only going to be five seasons, they're all like 10 episodes long. I'll just wait for the, the series to just kind of be over and I'll just kind of catch up then. Uh, but yeah, I've been, I've been hearing from numerous people, like a lot of people that I trust very much horror opinion wise, um, that this latest season, season five is the best one since the first one. Oh, awesome. Because I mean, it was just, it was really disappointing to see the dip. In, I mean, a lot of shows go through sophomore slums, but for some reason, this one just, I, I signed on to watch a show about Norman and his mother, not um, Pacific Northwest drug cartels. <laughs> Sorry. But, you know, I'm going to get back into it. Yeah, because I, when, for me, the show lost focus on Norman and Mrs. Bates. And when that happened, it just it didn't feel like Bates Motel anymore. It felt like I was watching a completely different show. Once the focus goes back on them, I'm on board again. So, yeah, I think I'm just going to hammer through the last five episodes of season two. Maybe I'll just drink <laughs> and then just start <laughs> season three fresh. Yeah, and that's one of those things, too, where it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe, too, if you know, you're going to kind of revisit it once you kind of, like, know, okay, well, this is kind of where I'm starting with it, you know, you have something to build up as opposed to, I don't know where this is going and I don't care. Yeah. Well, and like, I did kind of have a conversation with the actress Keegan Connor Tracy about her character. She was the, the slutty teacher that dies in the season finale of season one. And we were discussing how I felt like it was a mistake that they kind of got rid of her character that quick because her and Norman's relationship was a little uncomfortable and it kind of, I felt, would further his mommy issues if he was having kind of a illicit kind of relationship with his um, his teacher. That could have that could have been no, something I definitely agree. to explore. Yeah, but um, you know, they they made the decision so. But if I was showrunner, that's what I would have done. I would have done second season kind of dealing with that and how how his mother starts getting jealous. <laughs> no, that would have been really interesting. Um, did she say, did she know that she was going to, I mean, did they tell her like, hey, like you're signing on for this, we're going to kill you in like the, the final episode of the se- season um, or was that kind of a surprise to her? Um, she said she knew, but she was trying to convince them to cut out the scene because she was like, all they would have had to do was take out one 10-second scene at the end of the finale with my corpse. She's like, everything else could have been the way it was. And then I could have just came back for season two and I was trying to convince them they were making a mistake because she was right on board with me. She's like, I thought that could have been a great like angle to start working at. And But they just they wouldn't listen to her. Which is a shame. But, hey. You win some, you lose some. She still has a pretty fantastic character in that first season. I just, I just always want oh, yeah, to see for more. Sure. And I, mean, I like that actress. <laughs> yeah, I, I like her a lot, too. I mean, I've always just kind of, you know, she's just very likable, just very charismatic. But, you know, I would like to definitely see more of her as well. 
Um, so yeah, that's kind of our, our psycho chat for this week. Uh, let us know what you think of the movies, uh, particularly the sequels and the, the remake as well. Like, um, do you think that maybe one of them is overrated or underrated or that we need to watch one of them again? Or what you think of the TV series? Uh, leave us a comment and let us know. Yeah, and if we end up doing the the, the live viewing tweet-a-thon, we'll, we'll let people know beforehand so they can at least, you know, join in or, you know, disagree with us or agree with us. I appreciate <laughs> I think I'll like agree with us better. But, hey, if you disagree with us, too, just don't come at us like an asshole. Yeah, or, I mean, if you have, like, another take of the material, like, that's always interesting, too. Yeah, I mean, just don't start tweets with, well, actually, this is how. No, just, just like you're having a conversation with friends because that's what we do every week. So, and you guys listen. Exactly. So See, there you go. So, yeah. We'll, well, we'll uh, speaking of that. Uh... Oh, speaking of what? I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah. Uh, speaking of that, yeah, um, yeah we'll, we'll definitely do that. Yeah, that sounds like a, a fun new thing that we're we're going to have to kind of um, take advantage of and see if we can get some some people to to join us for those kind of live viewings. Yeah, because, I mean, I think it could be fun. I mean, I can't, like, I've seen, um, like, uh, I believe Fright Rags and the people from Cavity Colors, they they kind of do that. That's how I got the idea is the live tweet-a-thon, but, you know, I'm not taking credit for their idea. I just think it's a good idea. And it's just a way to bring horror fans together. And I don't know. I don't tweet anything. So I figure I should start. <laughs> See, there you go. Yeah, that'll be fun. So that'll, that'll give us another challenge. We'll have to get that all figured out. Um, and then, yeah, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode and let you guys know. Yeah, sounds good. So we'll be talking to you later. Talk to you later. Bye.